This morning's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, and chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. Please follow along in your own Bibles or as the text is presented on the screens above. I will be reading from the New Living Translation today. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever, and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Boy, beat that, huh? Yeah, thank you, Sam. Very good. Uh, We are in week number six of eight weeks that uh, hopefully you're... uh, no guilt, but hopefully you're reading along. And if in two weeks from now, if you are, you'll finish the whole New Testament. And congratulations to you. And uh, that's, a, that's a, a wonderful thing. And um, so this is the Bible we're using. And we have these cards that are on your chairs. Oops, this, this card here that will uh, question or a response. And if there's something in your reading that you would like uh, either us to know about or to address, uh, we'll try to do that if you turn those cards in later. All right, so um, last week I, I said that the best thing you can do when you come to a place in the Bible, whether it's New Testament or Old Testament, the best thing you can do if it's, if it's hard to understand is to go back to Jesus and uh, look for the line that's between Jesus and that hard verse, and he's kind of the interpreted key of the whole Bible. And so the, uh, he says in uh, verse 17 that was read for us that he did not come to do away or abolish the law. If that happens a lot, I'm going to switch over to the other mic. Did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And the key understanding or interpretative, interpretive key to the Old Testament is the word expectation. Okay, I'm doing it. I can only... Okay. The key interpretive word for the Old Testament is the word expectation, and the key interpretive word for the New Testament is fulfillment. Fulfillment. Jesus fulfills the expectation of the Old Testament. If you can understand that, you can see how it helps us understand the Old Testament, all starting with Jesus and working backward. The Old Testament points towards him, and then as you go back, you see the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. And Matthew particularly loves that word fulfillment. He uses it 15 times in his gospel. We read Mark's gospel the week before that, and he uses it twice. 
So it's a big word. Why would that be? Because Matthew is writing to uh, Jewish people who understood their Old Testaments and what the prophets were saying and how Jesus fulfilled the scriptures. Huge, huge theme in understanding um, who Matthew is. Okay, so uh, I want to go back to last week on another point, and that is uh, I, I mentioned a magazine last week that, uh, I don't know, does anybody remember what that magazine is? People. People. Mag- so I had uh, the, uh, the idea, I was contrasting the way you would read People magazine with the way you would read the Bible. Now, uh, here's, here was kind of my thought, and I, don't, I, I think I said that I wasn't trying to be judgmental. In fact, every time I've ever on an airplane sitting next to a woman, guess what they're reading? And I, you know, hey, I'm not going to, far be it from me, I'm okay with, yeah, I got other things to talk about. But it, it's just, it's a very popular magazine, but it's, uh, I would say a little bit, uh, it was interesting, maybe, but shallow, right? And it's, it's pretty fluffy, and uh, the Bible is, is not fluffy. And it, you know, it can be interesting if you hang in there. But I was trying to draw the contrast there. So later that day, later uh, last Sunday, this is, I want you to hear this little story. Uh, I went to the YMCA to, to work out. I, um, and I get on my, what I call my treadmill. <laughs> Watch out if you're on it. You're, yeah, but uh, somebody had been on it earlier. And in the a pocket there that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the pocket that holds stuff that like water bottles and all that, there was a copy of People magazine. <laughs> Being a, a person that tried, you know, well, things don't just happen for any old reason. And I remembered what I said earlier in the day, and I thought, well, I'm just going to see what's going on here. So I, I, I leafed it a little bit. Kind of interesting, but pretty shallow. I, 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 I confirmed my outlook on that magazine. But anyway, that was kind of funny. And here's what I mean, though. Here's an example of the kind of uh, logic that, uh, what I mean by shallow is, and, and I read this recently, so I'm using this as an example. But uh, we'll start with the book of Leviticus, everybody's favorite, right? Yeah. In the book of Leviticus are a bunch of laws, many of which seem very archaic, to us, and some of them quite harsh, the consequences for disobeying those laws. And in there you have things like food laws. So uh, it's always kind of bothered me that in there it says don't eat shellfish. I love whatever, oysters, clams, crab, the whole thing. And um, so uh, that, you know, and then in there also are other things that are of, uh, how do I say this, greater importance, like sexual purity. And the idea that gets used against uh, uh, people who talk about the Bible as um, a document that has integrity is that there's an inconsistency there, particularly in Christians who will eat seafood, but then they're kind of uptight when it comes to sexual morality. Am I, am I making sense here? And uh, so the idea is that you pick and choose, you folks pick and choose, and you know, you, you eat crab louis on the one hand, but then you're kind of uptight about sexual morality on the other. And I've heard that logic used uh, so I recently. Asked. But here's the deal. If you go back to what I said earlier about Jesus, you go to Jesus, and what do you find? You find that him saying that everything in terms of food is clean now. It's all clean. It's all good. You can eat whatever you 
want. And you can have uh, a pork steak if you want, which would have been off limits back then. But the, so he, he clearly pronounces that. Who's the one who gets to interpret the law to us? It's Jesus, the keeper of the law. He has authority. So uh, that's what that's an example of what we're talking about. All right, the the Sermon on the Mount. Is it? Have you ever? We, we read it this week. Was it hard or easy to obey that? Hard? Yeah, oh, come on. It's hard. Who can live up to that scale of righteousness? Impossible, it seems. And then we read another passage from uh, Matthew chapter 11. One of my favorites, probably yours too. Come to me, all of you who are, I love the interpretation, harassed. (laughs) And who have such busy lives that you can hardly stand it. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but you get the idea. And, I mean, don't you just love that? You can just kind of fall into the arms of Jesus. So which, which is your favorite? The Sermon on the Mount, which is really, really hard, or the easy yoke that Jesus gives us? Come on. Yeah. Did you guys get any sleep last night? Come on, you're the second service here. I told the first service that, I, I say this every year, I said, you guys are not the slackers. You're here early on a, Yeah. I won't say, uh, yeah, anyway, I'm not, no, no, you're, you're good. So what I want to do this morning is get into the, uh, the Matthew's gospel and, and the contrast between the two. To Richard Hayes, who's a New Testament, uh, very well thought of uh, scholar, says that Matthew, more than the other three gospels, presents Jesus is very rigorous. In other words, he has high demands upon your life, very high demands. But he's also presented as super merciful. So how do you hold together high demands and a lot of grace? It's just, I mean, who, who could do that? You know the answer, right? Sunday school answer. You got it, Jesus. So we want to see how Jesus does that, and we're going to look at these two passages, and I want to give you our outline, if I can, there we go, hardest thing ever, easy peasy, see how Jesus holds all this together. So it's too hard, uh, it seems, when Jesus says in uh, verse 20 that your righteousness uh, must exceed that of those who have the greatest reputation for righteousness, I mean, well, that is discouraging to all of us. Your righteousness must be greater than those who are famous for their righteousness. So apply that to your life. What do you love to do? And however good you are at it, unless you're as good as the best in the world, you're going to come up short. Isn't that discouraging? When I, I was on that treadmill, I mean, if I, if I were told that I had to, to qualify for whatever, life or the kingdom or whatever, to qualify, I had to be the fastest runner ever. I mean, it's just so discouraging. You'd have to either be on that treadmill 24 hours a day, and that's not going to work at, at a tense, you know, top speed, or you can just get off the treadmill and say, I've had enough of that. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to read People magazine. 
and I'm going to eat Crab Louie's, and I'm going to have some fun. Huh? Are you with me? I mean, if, you have, if those are your only two choices, what are you going to do? Because it's impossible to exceed the righteous standard that has been set by the Pharisees. and the, You can't do it. So you get, you get discouraged. Now, if, you, if this sounds a little bit familiar, it might sound like the uh, story of the prodigal son, where there's two sons, and the older son, uh, this is where we were a few weeks back, the older son says, I'm on the treadmill, and I can outrun whoever. And my righteousness is, is up here. The younger son, he, he just, uh, what, I don't, I'm just going to go have some fun. And fortunately, there's more than two choices, which was what we'll get into here. And we all know the story that the younger son comes back. So there's a hint as to what those choices are. He comes back and falls into his father's arms. Well, I hate to tell you this, but it, it really, even though when Jesus starts out by saying you must exceed the righteousness of the most righteous, it gets, it gets worse. And here's what, he, here's what he does. So he, he deals, first of all, with anger. And he says, if you call somebody an idiot, that, that's, you're, it's like murder. Just calling somebody an idiot. I do that all the time at the television when the politicians are on there. And I won't tell you who, but I, Patty can tell you. I mean, I'm always, I just get upset and they're idiots, right? Well, uh, that's not even the worst. The worst thing is that you think in your heart that they're idiots. You don't even say the words. You have anger in your heart is the same as murder. Ah, this is only getting worse. How? I mean, I, mean, I can't even come close. In the, and you think to yourself, I am toast. I am totally toast. But then here's the good news. But so are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Because <laughs> they aren't doing it right either. Only, they're only doing the outside stuff. They're not doing the inside stuff. They're thinking bad thoughts, saying bad words. And here's the advantage you have. I know I'm toast, and they don't know they're toast. That's your advantage. And you might think, well, that's perverse, uh, you know, wishing. It probably is, but here's how it works. When, in Matthew's gospel, uh, amongst, I think Mark does the same thing. They tell a story about a man, and uh, I think it's in the 18th chapter, but... 19th chapter. But anyway, he comes up to Jesus and he he falls on his knees and he says, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me. I'm a sinner. Now, what does Jesus do to people that do that? Tough luck, bud. (laughs) Go back to read chapter 5 and see that your righteousness must surpass the Pharisees. You've got to be up here before you have any mercy. No, that's not Jesus, right? Jesus, he, he has mercy on him. This rigor mercy thing, uh, it goes back and forth. So what, where, how do we understand it? Well, here's, here's the, the best way to say it. The, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and sometimes us, sometimes we're the older brother in that story of the two brothers, they look at the exterior as the uh, kind of scorecard for righteousness. That if you, if you look good, you are good. But we, if you've been an adult at least for very long, or in the adult world very long, you know that people who look good always aren't good. I mean, you can fake it. So, Jesus goes deeper into the heart. And here's the image that I want to use, if I can get the, the candy. Uh, I've used this before, 
And uh, this, is, this would be the Pharisees that, it's, it, it, you know, white in the middle, and then it has the exterior, uh, whatever that red dye number nine or whatever it is on there. But it, you suck on that, and you end up with a white candy stick that all the red's off of it. It's just the exterior. It doesn't hold. But you go to uh, another brand of candy. This is in, uh, from Great Britain called Brighton Rock. And if you suck on that, the image goes all the way through from one side to the other side. It's, it's kind of famous for that. Now, that's what Jesus wants to do in, in us, is to not just have the exterior color, but to have the, the real deal all the way through. And the Pharisees were like the, the previous picture, and this is where Jesus wants to go. He wants to get the heart right, and then when the heart's right, the behavior will fall into place. Well, um, the thing that happens here that I'm going to quote Jesus, he says, I say unto you, or you have heard it said, but I say unto you, so he's contrasting things they've heard in the past with what he's going to say to them. And a quick, how do I say it, maybe People Magazine reading of that, you would think he's contrasting what he said with what Moses said. Uh, not, not true. Moses and Jesus are on the same page. Moses lived 1,500 years earlier. Jesus is speaking of the law. He fulfills the law and the prophets. Moses isn't the problem. The problem is the twisted interpretation that has been given to Israel by the Pharisees. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. And when I say unto you, we're going to talk about the true meaning of the law of Moses. I'm going to show you the true meaning. It isn't just about behavior. It goes all the way down, all the way to the deepest parts of you. That's what I want to transform. That's what the law was originally intended to do. It couldn't do it. That's another sermon, uh, but basically because our sin is too deep. Something more was needed. Expectation of something more. The prophets talk about it. But, and that is fulfilled in Christ. So that's gives you a, a, a sense, there's some hope in that, actually, that it's harder than we think, because it's about the heart. And there's something about Jesus and our hearts that makes things possible. When it's only about our behavior, not so much. But I want to give you, this is uh, going beyond the text here, but since Jesus is the uh, fulfillment of the law, in other words, he keeps the law he, uh, re- he interprets the law. He tells the real meaning of the law. But he's also the fulfillment of the prophets. And I want to give you uh, two prophets. The first one is Jeremiah. And uh, if I can get that, there we go. Uh, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-three. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In other words, God is going to do something for us, in us, by his spirit that we cannot do on our own. He would actually, this this isn't like everything changes at once, but God can actually make you want to obey his law as he puts his spirit in us. So one of the best prayers that we can make is, oh Lord, fill me with your spirit. And that would enable me to do what you want me to do 
in your law. That ties back these prophets back into uh, this text, Jesus who fulfills the law and the prophets. He fulfills these two prophets. Okay, now, uh, let's go to the next passage in uh, Matthew chapter 11, the one that you liked and I liked so much. And uh, we'll talk about the burden and the yoke. But before we do that, I want to point out to you that in, in your reading, you've noticed that there's a lot of conflict of, over Sabbath. And Sabbath is a synonym for rest. There's, and Jesus is always in conflict with the Pharisees about uh, Sabbath. They're, they're working, they're, they're picking uh, wheat in the fields on the Sabbath, which was against the law. Or Jesus is healing somebody on the Sabbath, and that would be against the law. And, and it happens a number of times, so it's a theme uh, in the story in Matthew or the other Gospels. And what does Jesus say about himself? This is a fulfillment phrase. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, he's, Sabbath pointed to him. It's an Old Testament pointing towards him. He's a convergence point for all these truths in the Old Testament. They expect something, and he's the one they expect. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And then he, he gives us the true meaning of Sabbath. The Sabbath uh, was created for us. It's a gift. We were not created for Sabbath. The Sabbath is created for us. What a sweet gift. It's not a, it's not a rule or a law that you have to keep. It's a gift that God gives us so that we might have rest for our souls. So when he talks about rest here, he's talking about Sabbath rest, deep rest. All right, let's get into uh, what this rest looks like. He talks about his yoke being easy and his burden being light. I'll start with the burden. The assumption is, if his burden is light, then, I mean, kind of implied in that is that there are other burdens in life that are really, really heavy. And compared with those, his is very, very light. And he's not promising you and I that we will not have burdens. If you don't have any burdens today, wait till tomorrow, right? I mean, we all have burdens, things that are heavy for us to carry along in life. Worries, if you want to call it that, you know, I mean, whatever your word is, things that are heavy. And uh, so then we go to the word yoke. And his yoke is easy, but implied there is the same truth that we all have yokes. That we're yoked to something. Now here's, there's two biblical uses of the word yoke. The first one has to do with the obvious, the more obvious one has to do with animals and that the beasts of burden like an ox or a mule or whatever they had a yoke around their neck which was made out of wood and it had for it to work well it had to fit the animal and so you wouldn't want to use a uh, you know a, a yoke that was meant for a, a small ox is it ox or oxen? Ox, whatever. On a, on a large ox or uh, for a mule. I mean, you, you've got to fit it. It has to fit. Or there's just a lot of pulling that happens that's not very comfortable and the animal's not going to do very well. And we remember that Jesus was a carpenter before he was a ministry guy. Right? 
I mean, that was, he, his, his adult life, we know that he was a carpenter. And very likely, he made these wooden yokes. So he, he's borrowing something, perhaps, from his work life before. Can you imagine what a yoke that Jesus made would look like and feel like? It kind of gets you in the... If you were, if you were an animal, would you not want to wear something that Jesus <laughs> made, you know? And then this yoke was connected to a harness, which might have been leather, and then the harness was connected to whatever burden was back there. And that's how it worked. But there's another definition for yoke, and it has to do with uh, a master-servant relationship or a disciple-master relationship. And, and you're connected, you're, you're yoked to that person. And that's kind of where he's going here. But remember, we're all yoked to something. So the question is, what is the master of your life that is creating the burden for your life? And how's, how is that, that yoke fitting in your life? Is it a good fit? Or, uh, so let's just say for the Pharisees, what was their yoke? Their yoke was the law. How did that feel to them? Did it feel heavy to them? Did they feel like they had done enough? Or did they go home and, and the last thought at night is, I wonder if I've done enough law-keeping today. Or so other yokes um, could be work. And if your job and your career is your yoke, if you're the servant to that job or that career, your tagline for life might be, the quality of my work is the measure of my worth. And what happens when you lose your job? It means you're worthless if, that's your, if you're yoked to your job. If you're yoked to the idea of, of beauty, uh, so that would be maybe reading People magazine too much, I don't know, but yoked to the idea of beauty, your tagline would be, the quality of my beauty is the worth, or is the measure of my worth. How does that work as you get older? And the world says you're not as beautiful as you used to be. So I remember talking, this was years ago, another place, with a woman who was approaching 50. And you could, she had always had this way of attracting men, and she was losing her beauty, and therefore she was using alcohol. And she, we, she just broke down. She told me, I, I just can't handle losing my, my beauty. And I said, well, uh, this is the true story. I said, you really got to get through this. It's going to kill you. And, I said, and we, she, got, she went into rehab. And she became more beautiful. I mean, alcohol doesn't make you more beautiful. <laughs> so uh, maybe your yoke is, to, is a firm commitment, just a super firm commitment to become a better person. <laughs> And um, the quality of your morality becomes the measure of your worth. And the problem there is you can't really win because if you, if you really get good at morality, you become proud. And if you really get bad at morality, you self-loathe more than ever, right? All of those things are burdens. All of them are, you're back on the treadmill. I'll see you at the, y o'clock, uh, the YMCA later on because we're not getting anywhere. It's just heavy, 
And Jesus promises us that his burden is light, his yoke is easy. Now, he makes that promise not as a hard taskmaster. So, I mean, this is Jesus. This is, picture him, Jesus, and what does he say he wants from you? He wants your, he wants you, he wants your heart. If he has your heart, anything is possible. I mean, that's, remember the spirit thing? That's, that's where he does his work. He wants your heart, and, you, and what does he say about his heart? His heart is gentle and humble. You can trust him with your heart. You can trust a gentle and humble heart with your heart. That's a yoke that feels just right, perfect fit for me. The burden is light. And the promise he makes is if you do this, he will give rest to your soul. Rest for the soul. Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, it's true that before you we are um, in much need of mercy and grace. That your law exposes us as people who are toast, who are not going to make it. We need you, Lord. We need your spirit in our hearts. Pray for that. Just pray right now. Oh, Holy Spirit, come into me. Allow me to do that which I cannot do out of my own treadmill exertions. Come, Spirit, come. And then just for the moment, in this moment, the invitation to come to Jesus, all of you who are weary, who are harassed, who are weighed down, come to this table. Jesus is present at the communion table this morning. Come to him and find rest. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Okay. So, um, the table, we have three tables up front here. We have one in back, and that one has gluten-free bread. We have prayer in back there. We have uh, grapes on the tables here for kids that are not ready yet for communion, and that's a parent decision. Um, In just a minute, we'll, we'll get started, and I'll invite you to form lines at each one of these stations. And here's how we're going to do it. Each, so you can read that on the screen there. Because last week we did it in groups. I just want to be really clear that today we're doing it differently. We're going to be taking it individually. But we're going to be taking it back to our seats, and then we'll all take it together So as an act of unity. Um, so you got that? And what I want to do right now is... Um, Kind of hard to do with, with one hand on the microphone here. <laughs> but he did break this bread. Jesus took bread and he broke it. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after they had a meal together, he took a cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Remember me when you drink it. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us pray. O oh Lord, as we come to this table this morning, may we sense that the invitation is a personal invitation from you, that you have said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And we can lay our burdens down here. We can allow you to, ourselves to be yoked to you here. You are gentle and humble in heart, and that we can taste and see that the Lord is good in this table. We give you thanks now. In Christ's name, amen.